the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Hump day, middle of the weekday, over the hill day. We're closer to Friday than we were on Monday, and I hope last night you slept better than I did. Uh, I I hit the rack uh, about nine o'clock. You guys know I get up early in the morning, get ready to do the show every day, and uh, I was sound asleep. I mean, sound asleep, and all of a sudden my wife starts talking to me with a loud voice, and she never does that unless something's wrong. And uh, I get up, and I hear the sirens going off, and we're under a tornado warning here in Cabot. So I got up, and uh, we have a a storm shelter out in our garage that can, well, they tell me, I never want to find out, but they tell me it can take an EF-5 direct hit and, and withstand it. And so we were in there for about, oh, 20 minutes or so, and then... uh, the big thing was we got inside and uh, had another family member at the house. took me a moment to get them up and get their rear ends into the storm shelter. And so we got everybody in there, locked the doors and everything, and sat there for a while. You know, the, the bad thing about a storm cellar, it really cuts down on your cell phone. It really does screw things up. So uh, we were trying to do that, couldn't, and uh, finally got out when I couldn't hear the sirens anymore. And uh, I got back in bed, I guess it was about 11.45, and then I couldn't go back to sleep. And I laid in the bed, and I tossed, and I turned, and I turned, and I tossed. And by the time it was all said and done, I think I fell asleep about 12.30. And uh, I get up about, you know, depends, about 3.30, 4.30, depending. And so today I got up late. I sent Heidi a a note uh, saying, I'll contact you five till six. <laughs> and I stayed in bed for a while. All right, we're going to start off today. We've got, and i got a full show today, folks. We've got State Senator Bart Hester coming up here in just a moment. Then I've got State Senator Kim Hammer, Congressman French Hill, State Senator Jason Rapert, and then uh, State Senator... Uh, uh, Mark Johnson's going to join us in the 8 o'clock hour with Duck. And, uh, Joe, you, you know that we've been looking for weeks for somebody who has an electric car to talk to him about what it's like having an electric car. Well, just so happens about three weeks ago, the state senator bought himself a Tesla. Uh, so we're going to talk to him about that and see 
what driving one of those around is, is like versus a, a gas burner. So it'll be full show today. People joining us all day long. So let, let's go with uh, State Senator Bart Hester to start off. Uh, State Senator Hester has been a, um, well, kind of a fixture on this show for since he got into the, the legislature. Uh, definitely during the General Assembly, he always comes over and spends time with us, talks about his legislation and things of that nature. Uh, the, the the fiscal session just got over. Uh, Senator, give us a, a, a rundown of how you think that went. Did it go okay? Well, it went really well, uh, considering the circumstances, right? We did what normally takes us, you know, four or five or six weeks to do. We did in... Um, uh, you know, we did it in a matter of uh, a week and a half, and we got the people's business taken care of. We may not as <coughs> dive too deep into the details as normal, but um, we got the business handled. And really, the most important thing is we were able to implement uh, mandatory cuts um, uh, if the funding's not there, right? So we're prepared for the outcome of the corona uh, on the state budget. Okay, so from what I heard, that's going to be about... Uh, if necessary, about fifteen percent straight across the board. Is that is that right? Uh, that's basically correct. Uh, straight across the board, with the exception of uh, K twelve education, with the exception of uh, prisons, and with the exception of uh, DHS grants. Like you know, we got to make sure that uh, our most needy are taken care of. Right. Um, the exception of those, it's fifteen percent. Uh, we think with forecasts it will only be five percent, but we're prepared for really the worst. Yeah, I, I got a question for you. You know, fifteen percent across the board. Uh, when you, one of the big problems you ran into with education is, of course, the Lakeview case. Still, like a black cloud hangs over this state. Is there, are, are, are you guys ready to revisit that and and try to hammer out a different deal? Uh, for for uh, school finance here in uh, in Arkansas, because if I'm right, you tell me if I'm wrong, but uh, I have heard that almost 60 cents of every tax dollar is dedicated towards education here in the state. Well, it, you know, it, it certainly is, and, and I don't think you're going to find anybody that argues that it's not a, a worthy cost to spend our tax dollars on. But um, I, I never like to make decisions based on, oh, well, we might get sued. Uh, my uh-huh. argument is let somebody sue us and let's go back to court because I tell you, it, it's a different day in Arkansas. It's a different Supreme Court. Um, and th- there's two methods to revisit what's called the Lakeview case. It's either the attorney general um, uh, goes and asks the courts for reconsideration uh, or we just or we make some drastic changes on the funding side and, the, and then the state gets sued again and we see how that goes. But uh, either way, it's really got to go back through the court system. All right, one one last question on this, and then I'll move into the, the real reason I'm having you on today. <laughs> and, okay. But, but now that I've got you on, I can ask you some other. Uh, when when Bruce Westerman, now Congressman Westerman, was serving uh, in the legislature, one of the things that he wanted to do was to move more towards a uh, uh, a methodology that every Every family would get X amount of dollars uh, from the Treasury for their children to go to school. He felt that got around the Lakeview case 
because every and there was an equity an equity of funding uh, that way. Uh, but that never, ever happened. It, does there seem to be an appetite here in Arkansas to move in that direction? Or does everybody just want to stay with the status quo and, and not have to get their hands real dirty and fight about this? Well, I, I think, look, we, we've got Governor Hutchinson's going to be rolling into his last session. Um, and you've got a Republican supermajority in the Senate, the House, and the governor, and there are certain Republican platform issues that I feel like must be addressed in this final session, and one of them is uh, what we call the school choice or or, or giving more options uh, to families uh, on education. I think that's going to be a big one when we come up, and I think it's something the Republicans have to deliver on. All right. Let's get to what I wanted to really talk to you about. I told you I wanted to talk about it. And uh, to be kind of tell you, I was a little bit surprised that you had no problem talking about it, because I got to think that uh, you're still stinging a little bit about what happened. And that was the recent vote for pro Tim. I'll be honest. I thought you were shooing for pro Tim. And ended up that uh, Hickey is uh, State Senator Hickey is going to be the pro Tim. And uh, State Senator Jason Rapert has uh, been out out there and he'll be on later in the show uh, talking about how he felt uh, within the caucus, the Republican caucus, a betrayal had occurred and that uh, the betrayal had been uh, directed towards you. Do you feel that way? Well, um, I don't say a betrayal towards me. I feel like it's more towards the Republican. But I'll tell you, Dave, uh, given the options, winning is certainly better than losing. Uh, mm-hmm. That is in a race like this. But um, look, uh, you know, one thing I can say about Senator Hickey is uh, he told me what he was doing. Uh, he was very clear with members of our caucus that he intended to work with the Democrats to um, to try to get elected, and 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 that's what he did. Right? Uh, we've. Since uh, since we since since the Republicans took over, Michael Lamro said, uh, um, uh, came to us and you know uh, said, "Hey guys, here's the deal. We're in charge now. We need to make a deal that the Republicans are going to fight within ourselves. When we pick who who wins within our caucus, then we're all going to support them. Uh, that is held uh, for eight years until now. Uh, I won the vote within our caucus, um, and then uh, Senator Hickey partnered with a minority of the caucus and uh, the Democrats to." get what's uh, the current nomination. So what what was it about what was going on? I mean, you're known as a, a solid conservative. What what was the, the problem here? I mean, did they think you were too solid of a conservative? Uh, were they afraid that that, uh, you know, you know, with it being the final general assembly for the governor, uh, you know, you're looking at a situation where um, perhaps uh, members of the Republican caucus won't be as easygoing with the governor as they have been in the past because, you know, a lot of his uh, power is slowly dwindling away. So, you know, what what was the overriding factor here about Senator Hickey wanting to get involved after the caucus evidently had basically said you were the man? Um. Yeah, again, I'll say that, you know, Senator Hickey was up, up front about that. And, uh, you know, so it wasn't some uh, uh, knife in the back deal uh, at all. But look, um, 
I feel like you know as we're rolling into the last session, there was some there was some argument over geography possibly that uh, the governor's from Northwest Arkansas. Should the uh, pro tem also be from Northwest Arkansas? Uh, but look, I. Uh, you, you can always make that point when you don't have a good argument, right? At the end of the day, if the Republicans uh-huh. are looking for a conservative, it wasn't even close uh, on who, who should lead them. Um, I've got an eight-year uh, record of being clearly the more conservative leader uh, on on policy on, on each issue. Uh, and I'll tell you, you know, if the argument is I'm not going to stand up to the governor enough, I think I've also got eight-year history uh, or six years with the governor. of When he's right, I'm 100 percent in his corner, and when I disagree, I'm not in his corner. Uh, that's uh, that's no surprise to anyone at the Capitol. Okay, so what amongst? I mean, I'm I'm going to ask you: Have you talked to the people uh, that you think perhaps voted for Senator Hickey and asked them why did they uh, do that? Because if if you guys met in caucus, they must have said, "Yeah, we're voting for you," and then turned around and kind of pulled the rug out from underneath of you. Well, I, th- I think it was a, a lot of members that just just didn't say right, um, uh-huh. and you don't you know how it is in the campaign when you don't want to tell somebody no, you just say, "Oh, you're a great guy, you'll do a great job leading," and uh, uh-huh. so they're not definitive. But I'll tell you, you know, there 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 is a time for accountability. I think you'll hear that from Jason Rayford. Um, you know, we will meet as a caucus and we'll we'll talk about it because look, um, what, what some members think is a, is a win is a very short term win, but what it says is it's decimating the Senate. Because the Democrats will, for 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 the future, pick the pro tem and says this is how we go. It will take you know the Democrats and a minority Republicans. It's not what the people of Arkansas want. It's not what they expect. It's not the right thing for the Senate. Uh, irregardless of my race, um, there needs to be uh, it needs to be some public voting. Um, people need to be accountable uh, when they when they don't side with the Republicans. Uh, their voters need to know that. Well, when the schism started appearing and there was a fight going on, as you know, uh, Senator, I've been involved in Republican politics here in the state, low almost 20 years. And uh, it it really caught me off guard what happened, because, yeah, I I had always heard when, when you guys made a, made a decision in the in the um, in the caucus. And, and for everybody who's listening, hey, look, let me tell you what, there's arguments in the caucus People believe different things, and so that's all hashed out. But when you find out that perhaps the way you believe isn't the way the rest of the caucus believes, uh, it's at that point that, you know, you, you, you kind of figure out how you can work what you want to do with the caucus. And uh, that doesn't seem to be the case here. Are, are we having any problem, because I've been outspoken about this, and that is, you know, I think we've allowed some Democrats into the Republican Party who said, you know, I want to change over to be a Republican. And I don't believe that philosophically they have changed over. And I think that makes a problem. Were those people a problem in this in this issue, do you think? Um you know, that's, that's going to be very interesting to find out, uh, really. I mean, you're going to have three more state senators after me. Uh, ask them how they voted and why. Uh, you know, I don't know, but I'll tell you, a, a beautiful thing about being a Republican is we are independent thinkers. We're liberty-minded. And if you say, hey, you're all going to vote this way, it, it, it's a challenge, right? They have to believe in the, in the, in the, in the bigger cause that, uh, um, uh, of, what, of, what the, of what the party and the platform and what we're all trying to get done here. 
so I'm uh, again, I'm not angry at anybody for disagreeing. Uh, but, you know, really, when the Republicans uh, make a choice on something as important as leadership, we can't allow the Democrats to uh, um, uh, to to break that up. OK, so when's the next time that the caucus will meet? Um, you know, we'll meet sometime in May. Uh, we usually meet when there's a, a lot of meetings going on at the Capitol. Um, so we'll meet in May and we'll talk about it and we'll talk about it as a group. And, uh, you know, I'm still the majority leader. And so I have a responsibility to say, Hey guys, look, uh, this is not good for now or, or moving forward. And, uh, and so, yeah, I think we'll have a very transparent conversation about what happened and how to prevent this moving forward. Because the reality is what we all know is that if whoever's running for pro Tim next time, uh, they're going to start courting the Democrats immediately now. That means compromising on votes. That means compromising on uh, who you're helping with certain things. It's it's really not the right move for Arkansas. Sounds like a lot of horse swapping maybe in the in the future uh, as far as the Republican Party goes. Uh, I need to take a break, uh, Senator. Can you hang with me just for a few more moments? Sure. Okay, we're going to take a quick break. We'll be back uh, with more in a moment with uh, State Senator Bart Hester, majority leader over in the Senate. And uh, interesting things have been going on, and we're going to be talking about that quite often today. you got State Senator Kim Hammer coming up after the news at the bottom of the hour. Uh, today, some sun and some early afternoon showers will be around. Uh, high of 71. Uh, tomorrow, mostly sunny, high of 74. And then Friday, partly sunny, warmer, high of 81. Currently, Conway and uh, let's see who we got. We got Conway, Pine Bluff, and Little Rock all at 61 degrees. And Cabot and Hot Springs are at 62. I'm the, this is Dave Ellswick's show here at 101.1 FM, The Answer. All right, back with you. Got a few moments left. We have uh, the majority leader from the state senator, uh, state senate on with us. That's Senator Bart Hester. Good to have him with us. Uh, we've had a very unusual situation to to say uh, the caucus. Uh, from what I understood, had decided that Bart Hester should be the pro tem, and then the vote happened on the floor. Uh, Hickey decided to uh, politic uh, for the, on the House floor and ended up getting enough votes to, with the Democrats to uh, become uh, the pro tem for the next General uh, Assembly. Uh, this has only happened one other, under, other time, and uh, that would be when Davy Carter was able to move into the pro tem uh, position, uh, and he outmaneuvered uh, Rice for the pro tem position. So, where you know, Terry has has uh, has come around and become a very staunch, uh, outspoken speaker for the uh, Republican caucus. Uh, where are you at right now, Senator? About what your future holds. Well, you know, that's a, that's a great question, Dave. And look, I, I think you're going to see the same Bart Hester that you've seen uh, a long time. I'm going to, you know, fiercely fight for what I believe in the conservative cause, but I'm also going to um, be a good colleague. I want to work well with with all members, the Republican and the Democrat side, when I can. Uh, but look, here, here's what's going to happen moving forward. It has to happen. Um, things have got to become more transparent. Um, we, we can't vote secretively on the floor anymore. Uh, the, the people that we represent deserve to know how we vote on leadership. 
uh, same as they do up in D.C. Uh, when you're going to vote, they stand up and say, you know, I'm I'm Bruce Westerman from Arkansas, you know, and, I, and I'm voting for, um, you know, whoever for uh, to be our leader. And so I think that's what I'm going to really push for here. That's going to be the big change. I think it's going to be a win for Arkansas. It's going to be a win for the voters. Uh, there needs to be public voting and transparency in what we do. All right. We appreciate your time. Thank you for, uh, I don't know if this is your typical time for getting up, but the bottom line is thanks for joining us so early on here on the uh, the Dave Ellswick Show, and I'll probably replay this particular interview again tomorrow uh, on my show because people need to know what's happening uh, in, the, in the Republican caucus. Uh, Senator Hester, thanks for your time. We appreciate it. I look forward to seeing you again next year uh, when the general session gets underway. Thanks for having me, Dave. All right. Talk to you later. All right. That's State Senator Bart Hester here on the Dave Ellswick Show. This uh, it's kind of opened a can of worms. Coming up after the news, bottom of the hour, State Senator Kim Hammer will talk about this from his perspective on the Dave Ellswick Show. All right. Back on the Dave Ellswick Show, State Senator Kim Hammer joins us. And uh, Senator Hammer just had Senator Hester on. Uh, interesting discussion with him. Uh, it was his take that uh, the way that this played out, and, and let's replay this for everybody. Typically, uh, the caucus gets together, uh, and that's all the Republicans. They get together, and they decide who they want to be the new uh, uh, pro tem in the caucus, and then you guys have a public vote, and uh, usually... That's the way things work out. However, this time, Senator Hickey, a Republican, uh, went to the Democrats, said that if they would support him, uh, I guess he would uh, give them a a little bit more of an ear. I don't know if that's the best way to put it. I'll ask you. You you heard him speak about it. And uh, he was able to to pair off enough Republicans to win the election. uh, the pro tem seat. Now, according to what I heard, the two main things that I got from the majority leader is that one, he'll push for uh, uh, transparency and no more uh, votes to be had that are uh, secretive. And sec- secondly, uh, that uh, they, he thinks this puts the Republican supermajority at a disadvantage and gives more power uh, to the Democrats. First of all, let me ask you, first of all, good morning to you and thanks for joining us. And then secondly, what do you say about what the majority leader is saying? I think as far as when it comes to an individual's vote, um, an individual's vote should be a private matter. That's what we expect and what we practice out in the real world, um, we want to conduct ourselves as senators in a way in which we expect the general public to conduct themselves. And if we want to afford the privileges of the gen- our, to ourselves that we afford to the general public, then a vote is a private thing. Uh, once you start forcing people to reveal their vote, uh, you have to bring into question, is it because what's the motive behind it? Um, what's the motive behind taking one of the most sacred things a person has, and that is to protect the privacy of their vote because that's between them and their conscience, then you have to ask yourself, well, what's the next question or what's the 
what's the next thing that you want because you're removing a protected privacy of that person's vote. Sometimes I think, you know, forcing things like that could be interpreted as either bullying or intimidation, or you look at other areas where people have been forced to vote out in the open. Uh, I can't think of very many times that it always has good intent associated with it. It's one of the longest standing practices that we have in the American system, and that is to protect the right of a person's vote. Second thing I'd say, go ahead. No, no, you go ahead. You finish up. I'll let you finish your thought up. The second thing is, um, I think we have bigger issues to work on than what happens within the Republican caucus of the Senate, because that's a that's an internal matter that applies just to the senators. And yes, we have our own set of rules that we operate by, which is totally fine. House doesn't on the other end, and theirs are a little bit different than ours because we're independent institutions from each other. But I think we've got bigger issues that the citizens as a whole are concerned about. For example, if we're in a committee meeting and we're Republicans and we're supposed to align with the Republican platform, then I think that, and you've heard me talk about it before in your show, then I think what we need to do is if we're going to make a vote open in one area, we need to make votes open in all areas, which means that when we're in these committee meetings, we're voting on key things that are pertinent and relevant to the Republican platform, all votes in committee by committee members should be open and recorded and do away with this voice vote thing. And let's Mm -hmm. let's let every vote count. If we're going to go that far in one area, we need to be consistent and go that far in all areas. Well, we've talked about that in the past. You're right. And we've talked about it consistently. Uh, I have always been a believer since, you know, the old saying is, uh, committees are where bills go to die. I do believe that, uh, you know, the, the electorate deserves to know how people vote and that uh, there should be a roll call vote, I believe, on every on every bill that goes through a committee. I know they say that and make committee meetings go longer. Well, it's not the vote that makes them go longer. It's all the rigmarole that gets up to the vote that makes them go longer. The voting doesn't take long at all. It's just that a lot of politicians don't want to have to let everybody know how they voted in committee. And they can kill, you know, say outside that they're for something and yet kill it inside a a committee. You know, Kim, as I I listened and Senator, as I listened to to Bart Hester talk, uh, you know, he. He kind of uh, uh, said he didn't come out and say it. It's kind of read between the lines that, you know, he said, well, you know, some people didn't tell me right to my face. I'm not voting for you or anything like that or that I am voting for you. They said, you know, you know, I appreciate how all the work you've done and things of that nature to to make me to make me uh, suggested that they were leaning my way Uh, how do you feel about about this? Do you do you feel that there were some people within the caucus that misled people to believe that Hester was going to be the chosen one for the uh, the uh, the pro tem, and that uh, they 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 changed their minds and didn't tell Senator Hester uh, and told uh, Senator Hickey that they would vote for him if he brought this up on the floor? 
thing that was known several weeks in advance that it was going to be brought up on the floor and Jimmy's methodology of which he was going to go about seeking the office was known a few weeks out. So that was no surprise to anybody um, as far as it going to happen. So that, that took that element of surprise out of it. As far as individuals and what they told either Jimmy or what they told Bart, um, I personally kind of keep to myself because I think how you vote is a very private matter. It's not necessarily something you go around telling everybody how you're going to do. Um, and that might even imply not even telling the candidate how you're going to do because as with all political races, um, you know, the I'll give you an example of early voting. Early voting is a great thing except for if after about a week into early voting you find out that you, you find out something about your candidate that you voted for on the first day, uh, you really wish you hadn't because you found out something different about them in the seventh day. So, you know, typically I don't go, um, I don't make I don't make a commitment until I vote because you see so much happening. And we had a lot of lot happen in the two weeks that led up to the vote. We had the um, we had the coronavirus come on us, which just totally disrupted the apple cart. We had a special session, if you may remember in there, that dealt with giving the governor the authority uh, to spend up to $175 million, uh, with very little accountability to the legislative body. Mm-hmm. Um, there were just a lot of things that um, provided an op- opportunity for everybody that was leading, including the new majority leader and the new uh, majority whip and the pro-Tem candidates that they had opportunities to display uh, what kind of leaders they were going to be under a very fast-paced situation. Um, I say that to say that maybe some that thought they were going to vote one way before that started, uh, maybe as the process played out and people um, displayed their leadership skills, may have had some influence on changing some people's mind. That's why I don't ever vote until it's time to vote, because you, you sometimes can change your mind along the way. All right. So let, let me ask a question before we go to our break here. And, and that's this. Uh, it's been a well-known uh, uh, subject that there's a lot of people who feel that uh, many members of the Republican uh, Party in the House and the Senate did not press this governor as hard as they might have pressed let's just say a uh, a democrat with some of the same ideas because this governor is a uh, a republican but this governor now is going to be his last general uh session coming up uh, in 21 is is there a feel that maybe uh members of the senate are saying we're not going to we're not going to I'm Maybe this is not the right way to put it, but we're not going to roll over for the governor. We're not going to go along just to be going along because he's a Republican. Uh, we're going to be pushing back against him this time. Do you believe that played in this whole thing? I think people were looking for a strong leader um, that would establish the Senate body as the Senate. We are, you know, we are an, a co-equal um, we are part of a co-equal branch of government. We're the legislative branch, and we need to have our own identity. We need to have our own ideas, and we need to stand up for ourselves. 
And that's part of the political process, iron sharpening iron, and it can cause friction sometimes. I, d- I think that there was, and, and whether this was under, whether this would have been under Senator Hester or this would have been under Senator Hickey, doesn't matter. Both the majority of the people that I sensed wanted us to regain some of the power that we have given away and be more assertive in the ideas that we want and less giving in ideas that were being given to us. So uh, I think that that both candidates had expressed to them that we want to be the Senate and we want to make sure that what we as a Senate feel uh, has equal consideration and not compromise or trade things off. Okay, well, let's take a break. We'll come back. Our guest, State Senator Kim Hammer, with us. We're talking about the recent vote for pro tem, but it opens up uh, a lot of questions here about what are people thinking within the state Senate. And we'll come back. You know, uh, we've got three branches, co-equal branches of government, uh, it sounds like to me, and I'll let uh, the, the senator clarify this when we come back, that the Senate is saying the Arkansas Senate wants to be the Arkansas Senate and not a rubber stamp for just a governor. We'll talk about that when we come back on the Dave Ellswick Show. All right, back. Uh, we continue. We've got about six minutes left with uh, State Senator Kim Hammer. Uh, we're going to let this uh, topic go in the next half hour as Congressman French Hill will join us. We're going to be talking to him about national politics. Then we'll come back at 735 and State Senator Jason Rapert will join us and his thoughts because it's his Facebook post that I saw uh, that, uh, you know, kind of propelled me to get the people on that we're getting on today to talk about all of uh, the issues that we're talking about. With that in mind, we've got State Senator Kim Hammer here. When we left, uh, Senator, I talked about three branches of government, all co-equal, all with their all set, set of powers, all with their own sets of responsibilities. And what I'm hearing from you, and I've heard from you before, this is not something that's new, and I've heard from other state senators, uh, Republican state senators, they feel like the state senator has kind of rolled over for the state governor because he's a Republican and have not pressed hard for the things that they believe the Republican majority believes in. Am I right in the way I just put that? I think it'd be fair to say there's a perception that the Senate um, could be more vocal about what we feel as a group or even as individuals are matters that are of importance to the Republican Party and to the Republican platform. Um, That's not to say that there's not a working relationship because there is, but at the end of the day, um, there we have given away and and I'm not you know I'm not going to fault the governor on this one I think as a Senate that we have eroded our power which when you erode your power you erode your ability to have leverage whenever it is that it comes to things that are critical such as the debate on which tax cuts you know should be given or um, funding issues and what 
you know, what should be funded, what should not be funded, just the basic day-to-day functions of the government. So I think it's more a case of have we as a Senate, of which I'm in my first term, have we as a Senate yielded some of our authority, some of our power, which makes us, uh, can make us ineffective when it comes to standing up for things that we as a group believe because uh, we don't we don't have that that power that we used to have, especially in areas of like dealing with the budget. There was a big deal went on this past uh, uh, special session I mentioned a while ago regarding what was called a flag seven, flag eight. And it was a fight to try to keep um, that power that we should have as the Senate, as legislative branch, uh, when it comes to the power of the purse strings, because that's that's where our power pack is. If you give any of that away, you just lessen your ability to be effective whenever you want to um, challenge the governor on maybe some things that he wants to do that that we necessarily, being the representative people, don't feel is the right thing to do. So I'm I'm going to assume that now as we move towards 21 that there's going to be some very interesting discussions amongst the uh, Republican caucus. I have no doubt we'll have some Republican, you know, I mean, and that's that's the privilege of uh, the political structure we've got. You know, you, you have these discussions, you do it uh, knowing that uh, we all want the best. Um, I think really the focus isn't so much on or shouldn't be so much on the pro Tim race as it ought to be on the Republican platform that we get voted on. Because, again, as I started the show, I think by saying it's. You know, it's of interest to a lot of people out there about the pro-Tim race, but what's of greater interest is are we who claim to be Republicans actually uh, adhering to the Republican platform Mm -hmm. uh, when it comes to the things that are important, like, you know, lower taxes and school choice and, um, you know, smaller government and all the things that are critical. That's when I'm out among my people, they're not asking me about the pro-Tim race. They're asking me about those things that they expect me as a Republican to be supporting and, you know, leading the charge on. Those are the things mm-hmm. that are important to the general public. Gotcha. Last question. Uh, Bart Hester, Senator Hester, suggested that uh, Hickey going to the Democrats and asking for their support uh, sets up a, a bad precedent and gives more leverage to the Democratic Party than what they have coming, considering how many members they have in the Senate. Your thoughts? Uh, Democrats, even with a small number of nine, have always proven to be very strategically uh, able to get some things done, even with a small group of nine. Um, I would say that if you approach them with, good, solid Republican ideas that they don't go along with, such as dealing with abortion or, um, you know, just some of the critical things that we hold as Republicans. Uh, I don't think it matters whether who's pro-Tim. They're not going to go along with those standard issues. To my knowledge, there was no um, promising of anything, either on the part of Senator Hester or uh, Senator Hickey, to get those votes. Um, There were no rules broken. There was nothing uh, that appeared to be unethical done. Jimmy played a uh, political move in that he asked for the vote on the Senate floor, bypassed the caucus. He was able to get it. Um, I would say this, too. 
anytime anybody's out running a race, whether you're a Republican or whoever you are, you want every vote you can get in order to win out in the real world, outside the Senate chamber. And Senator Hickey didn't do anything different than what uh, any senator does, and that is we'll take any vote we can get in order to win, whether it's Republican, Green Party, or whatever. But that doesn't mean we're going to give away our values, our principles, or who we are as Republicans once we get in office. That's the way we run for a race out in the real world. I don't expect to be anything different, you know, in the right. Senate. Senator Hammer, thank you for your time. The music's playing. That means we're out of time. Your show comes up on Saturday. People should be listening at noon. I'll talk to you later. Senator Kim Hammer here on the Dave Ellswick Show. A break and then Congressman French Hill. seven o'clock hour here on the Dave Ellswick show first hour was really interesting everybody I know you turn to my show when you want to know what's going on locally and I believe in the last hour uh, if you're a Republican you heard a lot of information from State Senator Hester and State Senator Hammer about uh, where the Republican Party is right now and probably some philosophical differences uh, that are going on within the party. And it's going to I'm just telling you right now, I know everybody's all into the, you know, COVID-19 and and all the rest. Uh, The session in 21 is going to be really, really interesting. And there's only one station that will be broadcasting during that session from the Capitol, and uh, I'll give you three guesses. The first two don't count of who that's going to be. Uh, we're just coming out just before I get to the uh, congressman. Uh, Simon Property Group is reopening 49 of its malls and outlet centers Friday through Monday. That according to an internal, internal memo. The mall owner said it will be providing free CDC-approved masks and hand sanitizing packets to shoppers who ask for them. It said it will make free temperature testing available to customers using infrared thermometers. We understand that uh, evidently uh, Little Rock was going to be one of the malls that are going to be reopening. Uh, I'm hearing on the 4th, so that's uh, where that, uh, that story is. Uh, right now. Joining us uh, from somewhere here in, I think, Arkansas, I'm not sure, is Congressman uh, French Hill, uh, National morning, Congressman. Dave. It's good to, good to have you. It's been an interesting morning thus far, Congressman. Getting, I always, you know me, I always like getting involved in the local aspects of politics because that, that stuff and you know, affects people more than national politics do. And there's some interesting things going on here in the state of Arkansas right now. 
Well, it is a uh, really important because that's where the action is. That's where people can make the most difference in their communities is in the in our local elections and who we put on the quorum court in the county or in the state legislature is so very, very important. And uh, so you're 100% right. Yeah. Well, been doing it now for 20 years. I ain't going to stop now. What can I tell you? But I'm not going to stop talking to my congressmen either, whether they were you know Republicans now, which I thank God for, or when they were Democrats like Snyder and uh, and senators like Lincoln and and uh, congressmen like Barry and and others. I mean, uh, in all honesty, I've 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 given a, a, a voice to all of them. Uh, not all of the voices that I've heard I've agreed with, but uh, I <laughs> I will say that it's always nice that uh, we make it uh, possible for uh, our our Kansans to hear what their uh, politicians and their representation is doing up in Washington. First of all, let me just start off with you. Uh, We've got several states that are reopening. We're going to hear today, I guess, from the uh, governor about who's going to open and what's going to open uh, in the uh, state economy uh, how are you feeling about what you're seeing happen across the United States? And then I want to talk to you also about that this is happening 50 different ways, which I think is fantastic. We'll talk about it. You go ahead. Well, I, I agree with you. I don't think there's a one-size-fits-all to this crisis. It was a one crisis created by the source of the virus, but the reaction to it, depends on so many factors, and so that's the strength of the American system with our diverse uh, approaches, uh, diverse density, uh, rural areas versus urban areas, hot spots versus non-hot spots. So I do believe that that uh, is going to offer us also a learning opportunity about what people are trying and reactions and share that information, which is another benefit, frankly, of these governors doing a – routine press brief uh, open to the public and streamed, as well as what the president does. (laughs) It's so important to share things that are working. Sometimes they won't work completely, but that's part of the brain. We're having a nationwide brainstorming effort, if you think about it, uh, with our our leadership right there with our people on how to fight this virus and get our economy back open. Yeah, this is what uh, federalism is all about. I mean, You let your states decide how they're going to do this, and then you watch, and everybody learns from everybody. It's like having 50 little laboratories out there uh, trying different experiments. Some work, some don't, some kind of work, and you can kind of pick and choose and say, well, maybe we should try this, or maybe we should, you know, we've been doing this this way. Maybe we should tweak it a little bit. I just think it's it's great to watch uh, America in motion doing the things that America does. You know, it's important to have some uh, consistency, and I think we've got that through the uh, Coronavirus Task Force Best Practices. And the reason that's important is think about, you know, interstate travel and neighboring states and people who have border cities like Memphis, West Memphis, Texarkana. Obviously, you want to minimize uh, dramatic changes in reopening strategies where you have a lot of cross-border traffic and use common sense. Um, so uh, these national themes, I think, are important, and the governors are taking them to heart. 
what I've noted, though, in the controversy over in Georgia, for example, is, yeah, you want to have a statewide policy, but there's no doubt that in a big uh, congested urban area like Metro Atlanta, you could have different dates and have a slightly different approach than down in Athens or in Columbus or mm-hmm. in some other Savannah uh, and have some tailoring. And I think that's what President uh, Trump is suggesting, and that's what Governor Hutchison is struggling with. You know, I think it's tough to do that, but I think that's what uh, he's taking advice and uh, going to offer this phased approach. And that allows us to um, open up, get revenue flowing in our small businesses, but not stumble at the same time. All right. So, you know, I've been talking about COVID-19 now consistently almost every day. And uh, I want to move into some other things that you're involved with right now that I think is really important. People have heard the, the stories about, you know, publicly traded companies taking money from the, the PPP and some of them are turning it back. We've heard of colleges taking money and all kinds of stuff. Uh, a lot of people, you know, got really upset with that and said, never should have happened. Well, here's the key. Uh, what we're seeing happen in our country is something that's never happened before. We've never seen uh, the federal government have to transfer wealth as much as they have to uh you know, privately owned businesses and things. And there was for sure going to be some some uh, cracks in, in thing. I mean, they were building the airplane while it was flying, so to speak. Now, you're going to be on um, a, 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 a committee that is going to be watching how this money uh, is being spent. Uh, that's a huge spreadsheet. How do you make sure things don't fall through the cracks again, Congressman? Well, I think all taxpayers ought to be concerned about what we're doing, but also acknowledge exactly what you said, which is this is a unprecedented, uh, stunning impact on the whole economy, uh, not mm-hmm. unlike wartime. And we're going to do what we need to do to beat the virus, protect our citizens, and then get our economy back. And it's shocking, and it's depressing uh, to people to see the magnitude of it. But, you know, we have to step up, each one of us, and and do our part to fix this situation. And one of those is trying to minimize uh, the misuse of these public funds in the attack on the virus and in the speed to try to do that. That's probably where we're going to get into the most challenge. Is Congress appropriated $2.7 trillion? This is 60% of what we spend in an entire year to run the entire federal government from aircraft carriers to national parks. Yeah, and it's, we have it's, the oversight it's unprecedented. Commission. Yeah, we have yeah. the oversight yeah. commission, which I'm on, which is to oversee Treasury and the Federal Reserve. This is our mission. Our mission is to make sure that they do this in a transparent, fair manner and follow whatever strategy they've selected to, for economic preservation. But I think taxpayers also ought to take comfort that Congress set up special inspectors general and an inspectors general group to monitor all the spending uh, for coronavirus and all the agencies. And they got the government accountability office additional funding to monitor that and report to the public every quarter. So Congress was very sensitive that this money, knowing it was going to be spent quickly, would be spent responsibly. 
Well, I, I got to give a big, big uh, tip of the hat to Mnuchin. I just think that he's done a great job in, in his position uh, with the Treasury. And that, then you all have followed up to even tighten it up further. Is it going to be important for, like, in the folks in the Small Business Association to watch closely and the bank that are involved in this to watch closely to make sure that all of these people meet the parameters of this program? You bet. And listeners uh, should know that, yes, Stephen Mnuchin, who's the Treasury Secretary, has uh, uh, acted in real time over the last three weeks, uh, providing additional guidance, tightening the focus, uh, and tightening the audit standards. Every borrower who gets a PPP loan, a paycheck protection loan, signs paperwork saying that the money is essential for their operating uh, businesses. So, and 75% of that money is to do what? It's to keep uh, people a paycheck to employ. This is a workers' program. This money is not going to owners, per se. This money is going 75% of it out to uh, workers to keep them on the payroll, and the other 25% is paying rent, utilities, and things of that nature. So um, it is an important program, and, and Mnuchin thinks that over 30 million jobs have been kept off the unemployment wow. insurance process so far, and wow. that's just in that first first effort. Okay, let me ask one last question before we go to break, and 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 that is, how difficult is it for you? You're going to be on this commission. I mean, you guys get a spreadsheet, let's say. It really doesn't tell you who and what these people do that are getting this money, how, how does this oversight exactly work? Yeah, well, in the Fed and the Treasury effort, we will actually get uh, spreadsheets of how the money works. For example, what is the Fed and the, the Treasury? They're the ones running this aviation assistance program for cargo transportation for passenger airlines. They're going to have the Main Street facility, which is not up and running yet which will help larger businesses with loans. Uh, these loans all have significant strings attached uh, to them. So we will be getting that granular detail. The first thing I want to know, though, is what's the strategy and what's the tactics to implement that strategy? And that's what uh, we'll focus on here in the early days of the oversight. All right. Well, let's take a break. We come back. I got some questions. Number one, you're not going to be back in Washington Monday. They've pushed that back because they're 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 afraid of uh, of the virus there at Congress. So you get to spend some more time back here in the lovely state of uh, of Arkansas. If uh, if I were in the studio doing my show, I'd be asking you to join me, but I'm not. So we'll do it by phone. Let's uh, let's get our break in. Uh, uh, Congressman, and then we'll come back and we'll talk about what's going on in South Korea, or North Korea. Does anybody really know? And uh, how do we deal with China? We'll talk about both of those uh, here on the Dave Ellswick Show on 101.1 FM, The Answer. Back uh, for my final segment with Congressman French Hill on this Wednesday uh, show uh, with the Dave Ellswick Show. And the congressman joins me just about every Wednesday to talk about the big issues nationally and how they affect you locally. And that's why I asked the questions I did about the PPP. And and you were saying something during the break, and I'd like you to to go to make mention of this to our, our listenership, and that is that the Senate uh, there in uh, D.C. wrote the PPP legislation 
liberally enough that that money would flow uh, fairly seamlessly uh, to restaurants and, and small businesses, correct? Yeah, they really wanted. Uh, they didn't prohibit public companies, for example, accessing it. Uh, they did say the money had to be used if you needed it to keep your business functioning. So, But they didn't prohibit uh, public companies. And they also were liberal in their definition on franchise uh, restaurants, for example, and restaurant chains to let them have access to that PPP uh, money. And so that's where I think this controversy has happened. Bottom line is if you don't need the money for continuing operations because you have other ways to get your financing, uh, you shouldn't apply for it. And I think that's the direction that the Treasury Secretary is uh, leading leading the country. Yeah, just because the money may be available doesn't need that you should see right. if you can put some into your bank account. You know, we, got, we have so many folks out here hurting uh, that don't have any secondary source of opportunity to get funding, period, full stop. That's who we need to be helping. All right. Last couple of questions. Pretty easy ones for you, I think. Uh, Un, nobody's seen him. Nobody knows what's going on. The president kind of made a reference to him the other day, wishing him the best, saying that he, I guess, has information saying that the man is still alive, though maybe sick. What's your take? I mean, anything being said in Washington, D.C. lets you think that uh, the dictator of the North is uh, still alive? Well, there's a lot of open source data from Reuters and from the South Korean government indicating both ways, actually. I don't think that uh, we publicly really know the status, and so I think people are just speculating about whether he's dead or alive. Uh, and that's something we'll have to come and, and see. Bottom line is they have an authoritarian government that successfully starved their people for 60 years. So we'll see what happens. Uh, it is an important. It is important, the outcome. I'm not being um, uh, flippant about it. Obviously, they have an ability to disrupt the entire North Asia region. That's something that America is very concerned about. So we'll be watching a transition, if there is one, very carefully. Yeah, we got to watch out about wishing for something because you just might get what you wish for and not be what you think that's coming. And, you know, <laughs> you know, everybody says, well, look at, the, you know, his sister. She's much she's much more dovish. That may change immediately if she took over power. Uh, last question. Uh, the junior senator of. Uh, of Arkansas has put forth some legislation, one which I think is very interesting, and that is Chinese students who want to come and study in America, if they want to come and study quantum physics and things of that nature, perhaps we should look at that maybe with a little bit of a jaundiced eye. we got about 90 seconds, Congressman. Well, Dave, I think Tom Cotton has done a good job pointing out uh, the malevolence of China's uh, approach to telling the world about the the pandemic. And I think we're going to reset our relations with China dramatically. And as I've said, I think we're, uh, Europe will, Asia will. They've made a lot of mistakes here. And the things are not going to go back to normal uh, with China. Uh, so I think you'll look see a lot of changes, whether it's uh, student access or research access, trade, military public health, uh, their world in the third, their actions in the third world, all those things are subject to change now. Yeah, do you think that uh, the senator is right as well about uh, 
building up the Pacific fleet, uh, making it stronger. I mean, China now has 300-plus offensive war-capable ships in the Pacific and South China Sea. Not a good thing for us. No, we need with our allies, Australia, Japan, we're going, you're going to see us continue to be more active. We've sent the Carl Vinson, the USS Carl Vinson, into Hanoi for a port call last year. President Trump's done a significantly better job of patrolling the South China Sea and working with the Philippines and Vietnam and Japan on uh, open seas policies there. So that will continue, and I appreciate his leadership there. All right. We appreciate your leadership and uh, congratulations on all the things that you're doing now. We saw you on Fox News, I think CNBC as well. People are paying attention to what the uh, elected officials of Arkansas have to say, because guess what? They're pretty good people. We appreciate you, you. Dave. All right. Have a good one. We'll talk to you later. All right. Congressman French Hill here on the Dave Ellswick Show. When we come back, another State Senator. This time, Jason Raper joins us on the Dave Ellswick Show. Right now, though, Rush is up, and he's ready to offer you you his daily uh, commentary on 101.1. 7.35 on a Wednesday, hump day, middle of weekday, over the hill day. We're closer to Friday than we were on Monday. We welcome State Senator Jason Rapert. Uh, to the Dave Ellswick Show. Full disclosure, I've uh, supported the state senator every time he's run uh, for office. I've appeared at fundraisers for him. I've done a lot of different things for him uh, because I believe that he was the right man for the area that he was representing, and I don't think that he's let us down, to be honest. And, uh, Jason, we thank thank you you for joining us today and being part of the Dave Ellswick Show. Uh, Senator, I'm having you on because you wrote a mischief on your Facebook uh, uh, here just a a few days ago dealing with this whole uh, pro-tem race in the Republican Party. Of course, the Republican Party holds the majority, so... They elect the pro tem, who the man who will be, right. you know, directing, you know, what's going to happen, so to speak, during the next next session, uh, starting in twenty one, and uh, it didn't go as a lot of people thought it was going to go. And uh, right. you had a few things to say about it. Why don't you just tell my listeners about your thoughts here? Sure. Well, first of all, thank you for your kind words, Dave. You have been a great friend to me, and uh, I don't take your support lightly. It's something I have to earn every day, and I appreciate that after 10 years, you're still able to say that. And appreciate it. But let me get to the to the issue. Obviously, this is, this is a partisan issue uh, because it has to do with the fact that when the voters of a state elect a majority to lead in our state, they expect that majority's will to truly lead in different areas, whether it's on committees or leading in the House or leading in the Senate. And so every couple of years as we prepare for the next General Assembly, we have what is called a Senate pro tem election, and that is choosing one of the 35 state senators that will sit as your president pro tem and be in that position for the Senate. Well, as you know, in 2012, the Republicans took over. I had won in 2010, days, And so just after my first session in 11, there was an election for the Senate pro tem, and it happened to have been Senator Larry Teague out of Nashville, a Democrat. Right. But after the November election that came, 
in the next cycle, it so happens that uh, Senator Teague was not the pro tem because Republicans took over. And that's when Senator Lamoureux was chosen as our first Republican pro tem since the Civil War, if you remember. Yes. So here's where we're at today. We've actually continued to have the different parties will meet together and choose who's going to be their nominee. And so every year that's been consistent until this year. And so what we had happen this year with 26 Republicans in the Arkansas Senate and with only nine in the Democrat Party, oddly, strangely, when the Republican caucus nominated Senator Bart Hester of Northwest Arkansas to be our nominee, everybody expected that he would when we went out on the floor because we have a huge majority. Well, surprisingly, through a secret ballot process, when the votes were counted, Bart Hester lost that, and Senator Jimmy Hickey of Texarkana got that position. It so happens that Senator Hickey had come in to us and told us that he was not going to run in the Republican caucus election, that he was just going to run on the floor of the Senate. And that let us all know that he really wasn't interested in what the GOP majority had to say. He was going to go ahead and run regardless. Now, I know this is kind of in the details, Dave, but here's the bottom line. The Republicans have a clear majority in the Senate, and the will of the Republican majority should be what carries the day when it comes to that number one leadership position. And so the background on that is Senator Hickey, after he was elected in 2012, had run for pro tem against Jonathan Dismayne. He lost that in the caucus. He ran against Senator Hendren. He lost that in the caucus. And so this time he decided to go his own way. And it's very clear that he worked with the Democrats and a handful of Republicans to pull off what you might as well say is a political coup on the floor of the Arkansas Senate. All right. Well, I had uh, I had Senator Hester on at six mm-hmm. o'clock today and talked with him, and uh, I asked him what he thought were you know the biggest problems with what happened. Uh, he said that you know even when he looked at the he he looks back because you know we all know hindsight's twenty right. twenty uh, that a lot of, that several people told him yeah you know they they thought he was doing a good job and blah 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 maybe they didn't give him full throated uh, support but the bigger thing that he said was two things one uh, he was still majority leader and he believed we had to have transparency and that that, right. sec- that secret ballot needed to go away and secondly That's right. Uh, that this was a way of giving Democrats more leverage. I mean, it's not going to give them any more power than nine votes that they got already, but it does give them more leverage. Yeah, Dave, you know you know how that is. The, the folks that brought you to the dance, they expect something in return. And the Democrats historically have never done anything without requiring something from that. And it is un- unfortunate. Here's where I stand. When I ran for office, I took leave of my private business. As you know, I've gone through a lot of sacrifice. I've absolutely stood up and fought for conservative Christian values, for Republican values since I've been here. I am a Republican when it comes to where my values are, and I'm proud to be a Republican, and I'm going to fight and stand up for the Republican majority in our state. No disrespect personally to anybody at all, including Senator Hickey. But the fact is, twice he lost in our caucus in previous elections. 
and he didn't even want our support when it came to this one, or at least didn't want the GOP caucus's support. And so I believe that this cannot stand. There must be open elections. You know, I've challenged uh, my my members since there's obviously some lying going on (laughs) on the Senate floor. uh, I've said, step up and say who you voted for. Look, uh, you didn't elect me or anyone else to the Arkansas Senate to come in and say, I'm sorry, I'm not going to tell you who I supported when it comes to the leadership of the Senate. This is a public office, and you should have public disclosure about what you do. And so I stood up and said, I absolutely stood by the GOP caucus to support Senator Hester, and I'm calling for a public vote after the November election, just like happened previously, and I want senators to stand up and say who they support. If that ends up being Senator Hickey, then I guess that would be one thing. But according to what the GOP majority said, if it had been public the other day, Senator Bart Hester would be your nominee for pro tem in the upcoming General Assembly. Well, I'll let you know, State Senator, that I talked to about a third of the Republican caucus yesterday. Uh, You Mm -hmm. know, I've been involved in Republican politics for 20 years now. So, you know, people will talk to me and and they may not talk to me on record, but they'll talk to me. And, Mm -hmm. And from what I have been able to ascertain, what this kind of came down to is, are the Republicans going to follow their platform or no platform? And is the Republican majority uh, going to to govern as Republicans? I, I was shocked at how many people, it seemed like to me, were concerned that, uh, that the, the Republican Senate state senate has become kind of a rubber stamp for the governor and has given up their 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 co-equal status uh with the governor as far as uh, governing arkansas goes that's a real good line isn't it dave they've had a few days to figure out how they're going to try to explain that after they voted for senator hester in the caucus by majority that they turn around and some of them absolutely stab him in the back working with Democrats to upend the will of the Republican majority. Now, listen, all due respect, this is simply down to what majority party has control. And when you work with Democrats and you go behind the backs of your Republican colleagues and you actually violate a pledge that was very clear in our caucus, We have races within the caucus, but we pledge to support our nominee on the floor, and that didn't happen. I believe that you keep your word. I believe that you be loyal to the party that you work with. I believe that you be honest with your colleagues, and right now that has been upended in the Arkansas Senate. That has to be rectified, and it has to be made right. Now, as far as the Republican majority thinking they're a rubber stamp, well, just let me ask you. The public elected Asa Hutchinson, correct? Yeah. The public also elected every one of us. Obviously, there's going to be a lot of policies that we agree on because those policies were stated when we began to run. Now, I don't agree with everything that Asa Hutchinson has done. That's been made public before. But what I am able to do is to work with him, and I even work with Democrats when we have to work on policies that benefit the state. But this is about leadership of the Arkansas Senate by the Arkansas Republican 
caucus in the Senate. And that situation was upended because of some double dealing, working with the Democrats. And I'm not for that. And I don't think the Republicans in Arkansas would be for that either. All right. We got to take a quick break. Then we'll come back. I got to I got to I got to sell a few things, Senator, okay. so that we can keep us on the air. So you, you right. stay there and be comfortable. I'll be right back with you. Don't forget about PI Roofing. They're ready to take care of your roof. Last night, a lot of really a strong straight line winds came through if uh, a tree branch hits your roof maybe put a hole in it a little water getting into your house they can take care of it uh, took took off some of your shingles they can take care of it uh, they can feel uh, fix any water damage that you've had in your house all you have to do is call them 707-3551 that's 707-3551 or go visit them online piroofing.com they do their social distancing uh, setting all of this up they'll deal with your insurance company they'll make sure that you're there you know the insurance company is paying their share of uh, the repair just keep in mind that pi roofing thinks that with all the worries that you have right now perhaps without a job things of that nature you shouldn't have to be worrying about your roof let pi roofing worry about that call them 707-3551 they'll take good care of you i know they've fix my roof and have been on my roof several times so we've got uh, i can i can say without a doubt they're the best roofing company around that's pi roofing piroofing.com you know i don't want you to forget uh, state senator raper but you're listening and you are on 101.1 fm Yes, sir. I had to say that after all those two-second liners that we just had. All right, Dave Ellswick Show, State Senator Jason Rapert is on with us. And uh, we're talking about this recent uh, uh, caucus versus floor vote uh, that Jimmy Hickey won. And now he's got uh, the inside track to being uh, the pro tem. Let me make sure that everybody understands that after the election come November, he could be, you know, not be the pro tem. Is that not correct? That's exactly right. We have what is called an organizational meeting. And the the principle is that the 92nd General Assembly, which is now the senators that serve in that, cannot bind the 93rd General Assembly, which will include some new senators and hopefully some new Republicans in the Senate. It cannot bind them to their decision. And so what happens is that we vote on our rules for the Senate going forward, including the Senate pro tem, and so there will be another organizational vote. And as happened in 2012, uh, the nominee that was chosen just like recently here with Senator Hickey was totally changed after the November election. And so what I hope is there will be a public vote and that Republican senators will stand up and support their Republican nominee for that position, just like we tried to do the other day. All right. So it's it's your thought and, and even uh, Hester's thought, I believe, that if there is no private vote and everything is transparent, that this vote even would have been totally different. So uh, Bart Hester told me you guys meet again in May. This is mm-hmm. a, a major topic that's going to be discussed in the caucus. Uh, mm-hmm. Do you think that the vote is going to be given up and uh, it's going to be transparent and everybody know how everybody's voting? 
Well, I will tell you this, that I'm sure those that, that lied to Senator Bart Hester and told him they, was, they were going to support him, they won't want a public vote. But we're going to push for it. Look, it's important to take a stand for what's right. And I am very, very, very uh, committed that when somebody gives their word, they should keep their word. And I don't mind that somebody opposes me or opposes me on a policy or anything of that nature, but be upfront about it. But the Arkansas Republican Party has worked so hard, Dave, you included, to ensure there's a Republican majority. And when that Republican majority is thwarted working with Democrats, here's the problem with that. Every time that we've passed pro-life legislation, and you know I worked hard on the heartbeat bill in 2013, and we've we've now become the second most pro-life state in the country through the help of my Republican colleagues. But you know who fought us every time we went to the table? Democrats. When we've tried to pass uh, pro-Second Amendment legislation in our state, guess who pulled up to the table to vote against us and to thwart us? It was Democrats. Guess who has fought us every time we've tried to pass pro-business legislation to make Arkansas a better place to live, work, and raise our families? It is Democrats. So do you think I trust somebody that wants to go out there and make a deal with Democrats? No way. I'm a Republican. I stand for Republican values. I'm not out here with all these never-Trumpers and these anti-Trumpers that is constantly nitpicking the country, nitpicking the Republican Party. We stand for something, and if we don't stand together, what do we have? And so I'm going to continue to stand up for the Republican Party, and I encourage and I plead with my Republican senators, stand up and stay united with each other. Don't let these people make deals with you behind the scenes to violate our pledges. Yeah, you mentioned uh, the caucus pledge. I had not heard that particular term. Is there a written pledge that you all agree to or or what? Here's the thing. Did you ever pl- you ever play ball, basketball oh, or baseball yeah, or football? I, yeah, I played baseball yeah. all the way through college. Yeah. So when you're on a team, what do you do? You work with and fight for your team. <laughs> so it's pretty clear when the team is in the in the locker room putting together their plays and talking about what they're going to do, they stick together, everything falls apart on the field, doesn't it? Yep. Correct. That's exactly the concept with the Republican caucus or even the Democrat caucus on their side. And so we are supposed to be 35 people up there representing 3 million Arkansans. It's very clear it should not be something that somebody tries to trip up on and say we didn't have something written here or written there. It's a caucus where you work together. I use the term pledge. You can use other terms, but the bottom line is we discuss the fact that once we decide who the money is, we will support them on the floor. That's the way it's always been. I know folks out there trying to say, oh, well, it wasn't in writing or, oh, it wasn't this. There was no question in any senator's mind, once the GOP nominee is chosen, we stand together and support that nominee. Look, when you've got people that are trying to excuse something they did that violates the unity of the GOP caucus, they get real creative about their excuses in doing so. And look, it's real simple to me. I'm a Republican. People elected me to serve as a Republican senator, and I'm going to work with Republicans 
to ensure that we have the majority will in the Arkansas legislature when it comes to setting policy and setting leadership. We won't always agree on every single thing, but we can at least agree that when we say we're Republicans, that we work with Republicans and not Democrats to get positions of power. Final question for you, Senator. And we talked about this uh, transparency in the vote. Uh, let's ha- let me ask about this about the the whole thing about the idea of a caucus pledge. We have a state platform for the Republican Party. It, do you think it's time that there in the Republican uh, uh, legislature that you all write up uh, this pledge and that that members say that they will adhere to it? Well, let me just say this. A long time ago, business, I was doing business with a guy, and he had not held up his end of the deal, right? Okay. And he said, I, he said I'm a man of my word. I said, you know what, sir? I'm a man of my word, too. In fact, I'm such a man of my word, I don't mind to put it in writing. Uh-huh. And so, and so now that I'm aware that we've got some folks that don't understand what it means to, to stand up for your word— I absolutely would be happy for us to sit down and put out some rules of the road for them so they understand. Now, it's unfortunate we're not in high school here running a student council. We're in the Arkansas Senate. They ought to be able to stick with their word. But if that's what it takes, and you need to make it clear so nobody has an excuse to try to say they didn't know they were supposed to support Republicans, I'm all for it, Dave. All right. I appreciate you, State Senator. State Senator Jason Rapert here on the Dave Ellswick Show. We'll let you go. Get on with your day. We'll talk to you Thank later. You. Thank you All very right, much. Thanks. God bless. State Bye-bye. Senator Jason Rapert here on the uh, the Dave Ellswick Show. Some pretty strong statements from the State Senator. He never disappoints as far as that's concerned. Coming up after the news, it'll be uh, Duck and Joe and State Senator Mark Johnson. Now, he's not coming on to talk about, uh, you know, politics in the state. He's come out. He bought a brand new car about three months ago. He brought a he bought a Tesla, a Tesla. And, that, and that's something we've been wanting to talk about. Somebody who owns an electric car. Well, we're going to hear from him when we come back on the Dave Ellswick show. Final hour of a Wednesday show. You know, we're at hump day, middle of the weekday, over the hill day, closer to Monday, or not Monday. We are closer to Monday, but closer to Friday than we are uh, on Monday. So it's good to have you along. Joe and Duck join us from uh, bumper to bumper. Be part of the show today, as they always are each week. And uh, guys, have now that people are starting to get the uh, spring fever itch, are you seeing more people coming by you you uh, to take care of uh, car problems? Yeah, it's picked up a little bit at my place. I, I'm I'm pretty sure it has at Ducks too. It's not back nowhere near back to normal, but it's it's getting better, Dave. Okay, well yeah, that's mine, good. How about 
How about you, Doc? Mine too, mine's, mine's picked up. It's uh, I'm seeing more people that uh, has been sheltering inside. I'm seeing more of them come back out and talk to me. Yeah, as these people come by from the social distancing and, and sheltering at home and things, what's your overriding feeling from folks? Did they feel it was necessary? Did they feel it was unnecessary? What's your thoughts on it? Start with you, Duck. Well, Dave, I've got some people that was tickled to death to do it, and i got some people that, you know, says that uh, they think it was just a waste of time. But, you know, my thinking, I think it was something we had to do to keep us all safe. Mm-hmm. What about you, Joe? I think that we learned a lesson here. You know, some folks, uh, if they're at high risk, they need to really, really protect themselves, and I think that's going to be uh, something going on for the long future. Uh, but the social distancing and uh, all that is a learning experience. You know, some folks get it quicker than others, and some are slower to pick it up. But uh, I think it helped get this uh, virus put down a little bit quicker than if it had just run rapid. But I've got some folks that come in and think that it was just a big joke. So, you know, some aren't yeah, participate, and others will. <laughs> I got gotcha. you. All right, and, and that's 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 interesting because the people who think it was just a joke, they want to come in and you know shake your hand and all that. I don't know to be oh, yeah. honest with you if I'll ever shake hands again. I'll I'll do fist bumps or I'll do elbow bumps, but I don't know if I'll I'll shake hands. It it's 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 proven to me that I should probably uh, understand that I'm not a young kid anymore i'm i'm an older gentleman and i've got some underlying health issues and i gotta change my lifestyle a tad yep i think it's what it's taught everybody yeah we gotta be honest that's kind of what it's taught me all right state senator mark johnson joins us hey mark how are you hey dave and joe and duck great to hear you guys well, it's good to have you on. You are the person, believe it or not, we've wanted to talk to you or someone like you for several months. We have talked about electric cars on this show and on the Saturday show uh, a lot. And we wanted somebody to come on that had an electric car. And we've asked for people, you know, kind of publicly, if they own an electric car, to come on and nobody would ever take us up on it. It's not that we're against electric cars or anything. It's just a new technology, and we want to see, you know, what the people who have them think about it. So uh, I found out that you have a Tesla now, and I called you yesterday and said, hey, can you join us? And you have graciously agreed. So can we pick your brain for a little bit? Of course, Dave. And let me just say that, I'm probably not your typical uh, Tesla owner. Matter of fact, one of my colleagues in the Senate said that he was going to revoke my membership in the Republican Party because <laughs> I was driving a Tesla. And and I, but I'm an old time car guy, and I don't buy cars very often. The last new car I bought was in 1997, so wow. okay. this is sort of out of the box for me. But uh, uh, it took me about a year to make this decision. I'm. I bought a Tesla Model 3, which is the, the I got called entry-level model. They, they kind of moved it around a little bit, but uh, it's not the most expensive one. But the technology beyond just the electric part of it 
is amazing, and I'd love to, to, to answer your questions and talk about some of the the advantages. And frankly, it's got a couple of disadvantages, but I think they're 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 worth looking at. I think that I think they're actually working these things out. I believe that that it truly will is revolutionary, not just evolutionary. Okay, so uh, I'm going to step back. I'm going to let Joe and Duck uh, ask questions, and then I've got some general questions I want to ask. And uh, let's start with you, Joe. Uh, go ahead, Mark is here to answer your questions. Go. Well, Mark, you know, when when you buy a new vehicle, they always got a sticker on them that'll tell you if it's a gas burner, that it's, uh, you know, according to their sticker, to get this many miles per gallon. Right. Everybody knows that you can't get that because it's uh, done in a controlled environment. It ain't real-world driving. Sure. sure. Well, my question to you was, being that you have the new Tesla, and as far as you know or from your experience, when you charge that vehicle up, what is the average cost to you expense-wise to charge the battery up in the vehicle? And then how far can you drive it? And if you had to charge it at some place besides your house, like out at a Walmart or on the road at a restaurant or something, what's the cost of charging it there? Well, I'll, I'll try to condense this because it is kind of a complex answer. Uh, but, Joe, the I have a charger in my garage. The car comes with a, a long plug. It's rolled up in a little thing. You can plug it into a 110 outlet, and it might be finished charging about the time Jesus returns to Earth. Or <laughs> you can they have they have another end to it that fits into what we would normally call a dryer outlet, which is 220, and it'll charge it easily overnight. And the, the, the dedicated Tesla charger, which is a 220 as well, and will go up to about 40-something amps, and it, it'll charge it easily in a few hours. But the uh, uh, on-the-road thing, uh, uh, first of all, there is actually a measurement, and it's the EPA who does the regular mileage things, has what they call MPGE, mile-per-gallon equivalent. And they say that this car runs between 120 and 130 miles per gallon equivalent. Now, the variable all this is, depending on where you live in the country and in some states even what time of day you charge, your electric rate varies. And a lot of people know that Energy's been changing out our meters and we now have the digital meters. And they were actually one of the officials of Energy told me that they'll probably be going to a time of day metering where uh, if you on an August afternoon when it's 100 degrees, you might be paying a little bit more than you normally pay. And then at, at if you get up and do your laundry at, at at one in the morning, and so it'll dry by five o'clock in the morning, you'll practically pay very little because of that. So that that's a variable that's going to change. Uh, but you asked really about on the road charging. One of the there are chargers all over the country. Um, and some of them are privately operated. There are companies that just have these. They have multiple types of plugs for different types of electric cars. Tesla has their own ecosystem, which I think is superior. Uh, you register your debit or credit card with the company. Everything's controlled through app on your phone. And uh, the, the, they have what they call superchargers, which is just about what it sounds like. They charge at a much higher rate. Uh, the only one in our area is down at the outlet mall down in Southwest Little Rock. 
and uh, okay. you can back in there, and it charges. If you were down to, say, 20% battery, you could plug it in there, and in uh, somewhere between 20 and 30 minutes, you, your car would be topped up and ready to go. Now, uh, these are scattered over the country. They're, they're A, increasing the number of them, and, B, they're coming out with a, even a new technology they're calling version 3 of the supercharger, which will actually charge faster than the current uh, version 2, which are out there. Now, uh, again, this is a, uh, still in its infancy, but conceptually I think this is going to be the big difference. If the only real negatives I've found to the car is, you know, if your car gets, your fuel light comes on on your conventional car, uh, you find a gas station, and you know, five minutes later, you top it up. Well, uh, we all we've done we've been doing that our whole lives. We know how that works. Uh, the uh, you have to kind of plan this with an electric car. Now, beautiful thing about the Tesla, everything is controlled by the central screen. It's a it's like it's a giant iPad in the middle of your dashboard, and you don't have a bunch of other gauges and buttons. Everything is there. And you can actually, just like you would with your, your phone or your, your iPad, enter a plan where you get on the maps and say, okay, I'm going to go from here to Nashville or whatever. Uh, the, the car actually is software. It's all built in. And it will tell you where the superchargers are along the way, uh, how long you would need there. They even now can tell you how many cars or how many stalls are vacant, so to speak. Uh, and, and one of the things that's really interesting, and you can just see that the sky's the limit on this type of technology, the, the, the computer and everything with the car, as you get nearer that supercharger that you've put into your, your navigation, it will heat or cool, depending on what the outside temperature is, the battery. So when you pull into that supercharger and plug in, uh, the battery is at the temperature to maximize the charge rate because if it's too hot wow. or too cold, the, uh, uh, the the charge rate it'll charge of course, but it'll be slower charge because of the there is an optimum temperature for the battery, and that's and again this is it's interesting you talk about the range. There's a term called range anxiety that people are scared to go out and venture out in an electric car because you'll get stuck somewhere and can't charge it, and certainly if you're uh, stupid, really, and don't pay attention to that. You, you, you can do that. But how many times, even within the last year, I was driving my previous car and I ran out of gas in downtown Little Rock because I knew I could get down to that station on on Eighth uh, Street and I didn't quite make it. So, I mean, we've all kind of done that, you know. But uh, uh, as as you adapt yourself to the way things are in the car, uh, it, it does make a difference. I will say. People ask me about the charging, and I said, can you imagine if someone snuck into your garage, at, not, not, not like Joe's garage, but your, your home garage or carport, and while you were asleep, filled your gas tank every night? And that's basically <laughs> what I have. I've got my car plugged in, so it charges, and so when I get up in the morning, it's ready to go. All right, we got uh, about 19 – hold on, hold on just a second. We got about 19 minutes after 8. I'll let you guys ask some more questions when we come back, but we've got to get a break in. Let's do that. According to Forbes, 96% of Americans, that's 90%, claim their Social Security benefits at the wrong time, and that mistake will cost them an average of $111,000 over their retirement. Can you afford to lose that kind of money? I can't. 
learn how you can avoid this with a free Social Security analysis from David Lucas Financial. That's here in North Little Rock. If you save more than $250,000, you have not filed for Social Security. Be one of the first 10 callers right now to schedule your free analysis at 501-222-3315. This free analysis can be done over the phone or video conferencing, so you keep your social distancing. Don't have to worry about COVID-19 or anything like that. Number again, 501-222-3315, 501-222-3315. Investment advisory services offered through David Lucas Financial and Arkansas Registered Investment advisor a break and then back with joe and doc and more questions uh, for state senator mark johnson who has a a tesla what's the difference uh, for your lifestyle with an electric car over a gas burner more on that when we come back well if you just joined us our special guest today and joe and doc are here they're here every wednesday but we have a special guest today in state senator mark johnson he's got a a Tesla, an electric car, and we've been wanting to get somebody on with an electric car so we could talk to them because there, there seems to be, you know, it's a whole different uh, animal. And, Joe, you started off by asking about, you know, recharging and things of that nature, and Mark answered that. Why don't you bring up now your follow-up question that you had? Well, my follow-up question was, uh, the cost actually out of your pocket in your house to charge it, what is it uh, like a monthly average? And what would it cost, like just say if you got out somewhere and you were down to 20% and you pulled into one of their supercharger stations and took 30 minutes to charge there, what's the cost there versus the cost at your house? Well, Joe, they actually bill it at a – and, again, I can't tell you this is absolutely true, but – but they don't have a surcharge for what they buy that local power for. Uh, okay. So the last I haven't used it, but a few times. But the last time I used a supercharger, uh, I basically just topped my battery off, and it was a little less than three dollars. So it's wow. not unusual to if you're down to say ten percent, uh, and then you charge it up to say seventy percent. You know because it uh, it charges. Before you, the very low end, the very high end, the, the charging speed is a little slower. Uh, just like you have to moderate your nozzle and your your gas pump when you, you're you're just about to top it up, you know. But um, yeah. uh, it's it's tremendously cheap. I started to say compared to gas. I looked up the other day and we, I saw ninety seven cent gasoline the other day, yeah. and the equivalent on inflation from when I started driving about nineteen sixty nine or seventy. Is, that would have been like fifteen cent gas back then. So obviously, wow. this is all time lows for, for the actual price of gas. And I'm not even counting the fact that the tax is different. But uh, uh, it, it's it's definitely less expensive than buying gasoline, at least at the moment. Now, again, I, only way I could do this is to put some kind of a of a wattage measurement going into my car and separate that out from from what energy is charging me, but uh, it's cheaper. I couldn't tell you quantifiably exactly how much cheaper, but it is cheaper. All right. We got 26 after. Go ahead. Go ahead. 
Well, I was going to say, you, you, you've had it for several months, and your electric bill on average was this. You bought the car, and you're charging it every night. You haven't seen an absorbent increase in your no, bill then, right? Not at all. Not at all. It looks The bill looks about normal. Of course, we're in the springtime. We're not running the heat much, yeah. and we're not running the air conditioner much. But uh, it's not a, a deal breaker as far as my energy bill by any means. It's just it's, it's negligible. Whatever it is, I'd like to know, but I don't quite know how to. To, to separate yeah. that out, but it, but it's not like you say, "Whoa, what happened to my bill?" You know, at like a right. summer month or something. Yeah, All right, Doug. Doug, you had a question. Go ahead. How are they going to like the interstates? You know, the road use taxes. Like you know, we pay taxes when we buy a gallon of gasoline or a gallon yes, of diesel fuel. Everybody pays taxes. Yes, so how are they going to do that on electric cars? Well, okay, uh, Mark. In, Mark, in let me session, ask you. Can you answer this in two minutes? I can answer it in less than that, Dave. Okay, go uh, ahead. In, in, 20, in the 2019 session, uh, we passed legislation that puts a $100 surcharge on registration of a uh, of hybrid vehicle and a $200 surcharge on registration of an elect, all-electric vehicle. Now, I actually am drafting legislation to tweak that a little bit because you take a, a one of these tiny – Toyotas or even the, uh, I'm not talking about the Prius, uh, or the, uh, uh, I had one time had a Volkswagen Jetta TDI, which got 50 miles to a gallon. They don't pay that surcharge. A Prius owner has to pay that surcharge. I don't think it's fair to charge someone who's also buying gasoline. My younger daughter used to have a Prius, so I know how they work. And they use gasoline. They get better mileage, and the hybrid system is more efficient, but uh, I, I didn't think it was quite fair to hit the hybrid owners with the extra dollars. Uh, in addition to the fact they're buying fuel and paying the road tax that way, uh, a lot of people don't know that the highways are paid for by what comes out of at the gas pump. It's built in. It's close to fifty cents a gallon, both federal and state. So uh, that's how we pay for our roads. Now we got to pay for our roads. There's going to be more and more electric cars. I don't know if they'll take over, but there's going to be a lot more of them. And we've got to have a system to pay for our roads. Consequently, uh, we, we, this was the way the legislature dealt with it for the time being. So I pay an extra $200 a year when I renew my tags, and that goes to the highway department to pay for roads. Okay, so that's the way it's done right now. Well, gentlemen, we got to take a break. Uh, Sean Hannity wants to talk to us. When we come back, we'll pick up our conversation because I know there's more questions to be asked. I'm just telling you, i I got to know what it feels like to sit down and when you put the gas pedal down, the accelerator pedal down, you've got maximum power from the get-go. I mean, it gets up and gets at it. We'll talk about all of that here on the Dave Ellswick Show. Plus, we'll tell you a little bit about Bumper to Bumper and the Bumper to Bumper Certified Service Centers. But right now, we're going to take some time out to listen to uh, Sean Hannity. He's got his morning update. I don't know if it's a shot of espresso or it's some kind of an IV that he's got for us this morning, but it's coming your way right now at 101.1 FM, The Answer. 
All right, we continue on the Dave Ellswick Show. Our special guest with Joe and Duck today is State Senator Mark Johnson, and uh, he's not talking about how to over, you know, overhaul a 1967 uh, Camaro, uh, uh, you know, carburetor, but he's talking about his new car, his, his Tesla. Very interesting stories thus far. Duck, it was your turn asking uh, questions here. You talked a little bit about, you know, how we're going to pay for the roads because uh, you you got to tax differently. Uh, what's your next question? Well, my next question is, how do you get maintenance on it? Do they come out and do the maintenance, or do you have to take it somewhere else? Well, actually, that they'll do both. But now i got to tell you, you're, you're, I'm gone from a car with, what, 1,500 to 2,000 moving parts to a car with, like, 20 moving parts. So there's uh, not near as much wear and tear. Well, let me. First of all, you have in this one has two electric motors. Some have one. The new Cybertruck's going to have three, uh, but it's it, you know, it's an electric motor. There's just a lot of there's very little to go wrong with it. And uh, uh, the, literally, in the first twelve thousand five hundred miles uh, at twelve five, I'm supposed to rotate the tires. Uh, and of course, you have to add washer fluid, and that's about it. It's I, I actually sometimes I was you know and I it's, I have a '95 Ford F250 with 7.3 diesel. And the other day I'd pick up something at AutoZone, and uh, I went in and I bought a, a flasher, a little flasher unit went off, and I and I'm looking around at all the things that I don't have to buy anymore, and so it, now that doesn't mean it won't have other maintenance needs, and and batteries are a serious consideration, although. CEO of Tesla, Elon Musk, has said that their next generation battery will have a lifetime of a million miles. So there's definitely going to be less maintenance. And it, and both you guys are sort of, I think, of, of my age or a little younger. But you you remember when cars had carburetors and they were, you know, you had points and, and you know, you adjusted valves and you set the dwell and you gapped the plugs. And, and a lot of that has gone away. And I, I think we're going to see even more of that go away. Now, that doesn't mean there's not going to be other challenges and the things that you have to work on may be more expensive and complex, but but as far as the actual drivetrain, it's so much simpler than uh, your typical uh, internal combustion engine with a uh, eight-speed automatic transmission and, you know, all the emission control stuff that's added on, on top of it. That, which is it's totally changing everything and it, in fact that it's a zero emission vehicle it doesn't have to have diesel exhaust fluid and all these these things that uh we we, we just kind of gradually got used to all these things being pancaked onto our cars and, and and let me say one thing guys and dave you know me well enough to know i mean i'm i'm certainly i don't want to pollute the world or anything but i'm not a greenie i'm not an environmentalist no you're not a tree hugger no, but but I'm uh, uh, I'm I like green as far as the the, the, the dollar sign green. I'm I'm sure. a miser. I'm I'm cheap, and yeah. I really believe in the long run that uh, uh, the cars are going to be cheap. The the charging technology and the battery technology, uh, if it had been solved a hundred years ago, we might not have ever had the the kind of cars that we have now. But uh, because of the availability and the the, the cheap price of petroleum. Uh, our whole transportation system was built around, you know, that commodity, and uh, uh, we just adapted to it. And 
and it's gotten because of you know emissions laws and, and a lot of other things peripheral to that. Uh, we again we built an ecosystem around it. Well, now there's going to be a new ecosystem, and, and I think generally, and maybe you know, and I'm an old old car guy. I got a old car belonged to my dad out in my my storage building. You know, I love old cars, but I can see the future coming, and uh, it's going to be electric, and it may be totally electric. All right, let me jump in and ask a question. Question real quick, uh, uh, Joe, if I might, uh, and sure, that sure. is, what, what's it like to drive the Tesla, uh, Mark? It's got to have a whole different feel to it than a, a gas guzzler does. I mean, it doesn't take, you know, six, uh, you know, uh, uh, what, ten, twelve seconds to get up to maximum speed. I mean, it's got full throttle going right from the moment you push down on the accelerator. And right. it's, it's ex- extraordinarily quiet, I understand. Well, of course, it's an electric motor. It, it's, it's totally quiet. The only noises you hear are the wind noise, the tire noise, and, and you can hear the, the – it does have a small cooling system to cool the battery. You can sometimes hear that running. Uh, in a word, it's fast. Uh, and because it's so quiet, I have to watch it because you think you're puttering along around the speed limit, and you go, "Oh, I'm going that fast." You know, it's 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 deceiving uh, because it, it is so quiet and comfortable. Uh, the, the car's fast, in a word, it's extremely fast. It's uh, uh, they they go anywhere from depending on the model you get from like zero to sixty in about five seconds to zero to sixty in 2.9 seconds. Wow. And then the new Tesla Roadster that Elon Musk has announced, but they're not shipping them yet, probably be sometime the end of next year. Uh, they say zero to 60 in 1.9 seconds. And uh, if anyone remembers, you guys, I think, remember slot cars that we used oh, to yeah. use on the little track. They're like the slot car. I mean, when you you, you, you step on the pedal, it, it has 100% of its torque instantly. It doesn't have to overcome a flywheel or anything and build up. And it, it, it is, let's just say that I have, have scared a few of my passengers by not warning them that I was going to press on the pedal. And I, I can't repeat on this family show some of the words that they use, but uh, uh, it, it made me worry a little bit because I do have a white interior on the car that maybe I shouldn't have done that. But yeah, uh, it, it's been a, uh, it, it, that part of it is is unqu- and to the point that I actually believe that that instant acceleration is a safety thing. It lets you you, you pull out and you didn't see somebody coming or or someone's coming faster than you thought, and you can step on it and get out of the way real quick and get up to the freeway speeds. Amazing, whatever. amazing. All right, Joe, go ahead. I'm sorry. Well, what I wanted to ask, you were talking during the break a little bit about the, what they call the ADAS, Active Driver Assist System. That's what you alluded to, yes. that it was like a cruise control on steroids. Yes, sir. So if you would tell the listeners a little bit about that lane usage and it's got, you know, it's the next step to the autonomous vehicle. You'd yes, sir. talk a little bit about that. Well, Joe, the Tesla calls it autopilot. And it's a phased-in thing. It, it will. Uh, uh, there are. It has a lot of limitations on it, which are put on for safety reasons and, and for regulatory reasons. Uh, uh, government doesn't let you have a full self-driving car yet on the road. At least, uh, not supposed to be. We hear about the people that 
cheat the system. I mentioned you having to keep your hand on the wheel. I read a story about a guy stuck an orange up in the, the spokes of the steering wheel so he'd have some weight on it and, you know, make <laughs> fool the system into thinking that it's got its hands on it. But, you know, oh you need gosh. to pay attention. But uh, uh, it, it adapts uh, to the speed. You set your speed. Uh, you actually can, with the thumb wheel on the steering wheel, you can change the distance between the cars in front of you. Uh, if I've never been in this situation with it, but they tell me that if you're in a, a stop-and-go driving, a traffic jam, basically, like you'd see in larger cities, that uh, uh, you know, which is re- re- really one of the most tiring things on earth to speed up, slow down, speed up, slow down. It will kind of take care of that for you and help you maintain the safe distance between the car in front of you. And, and uh, certainly you have a screen that shows where all the cars are around you. And uh, a lot of the, you know, I'm getting older now. I appreciate the fact that while my head doesn't rotate 360 degrees where I can see very well, uh, the car sees, it sees all around itself. And it, it has sensors. It has, I think, six cameras outside. And plus it has radar. And it, uh, it picks up on where a car is. If a car turns left in front of me on a two-lane road, It'll make a sound and, and flash red to kind of warn me. I mean, I see it, but uh, it sees it, too, and, and just calls my attention to it. Uh, uh, those kinds of things are, are being phased in. Uh, I'm, I'm not quite comfortable totally turning over. It, it works fine, but, you know, Mark's not necessarily, you know, comfortable with it yet. But I'm sure that'll that'll come along later. Uh, but 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 think of it as as an assist to your driving. I, I have a friend that is just deathly against anything autonomous. And I don't want a self-driving car. Well, imagine that you just got an assistant there helping you uh, protect you from the crazies out there and the people that are coming up on you from behind and you don't see them. It, it's just a little extra thing. But it, you actually can not just set the speed, but you can set the lane. Uh, you can set. A variable plus if you got your regular cruise control on on a conventional car and you're coming up uh, on a car that's slower then you would have to turn it off or touch the brake or something uh the tesla autopilot will slow down automatically and then once that person say moves over to the right lane then it will go back up to the preset speed so it, it's automating a lot of the things that we had to do manually through the years even though again cruise control is a great thing especially on a long trip but it it does automate that and again i expect it to see even be even more so as as we move down the road got to get our final break in when we come back duck i have a question now i have a final question our special guest state senator mark johnson joining us talking about his electric car that's coming up here on the dave ellswick show all right, Doc, you got uh, a question, then I get the final question. Go. Well, one of my questions was, is he hit it while ago when we was talking about insurance. How much different cost is an electric car versus a gas car on insurance? And what's the average cost of a Tesla electric car? Well, uh, Doug, let me first say that I haven't seen any real difference. I think when any new car comes out, the insurance companies have to kind of do some kind of a study of, what the cost to repair is, and obviously that has a lot to do with what the the rate is. The fact that uh, National Highway Traffic Safety Administration rates the Tesla Model 3, the the entry-level Tesla, the car I'm driving, as the safest car on the road, 
probably helps get your insurance rate down some. The fact that it has expensive parts, the battery, of course, being probably the most expensive, that's going to factor into it on the other direction. Uh, but when my agent basically told me that it's not much different than any other car of the same price, a brand-new car. And I, I was a little put off because I thought it was going to be a lot more. Well, of course it's a lot more than the 21-year-old car I was driving before. <laughs> so and that was sort of a thing. But now, uh, as far as uh, your – I'm sorry, that the second part of your question was about uh, – uh, What's the average cost of a Tesla? Uh a Tesla can run between thirty-five thousand and a little over a hundred thousand, and you have uh, four models that they're shipping right now. They have uh, the Model Three, which is the, the, the low-end one that I have, the Model Y, which is a slightly bigger. They call it an SUV. I'd call it more of a crossover. It's a hatchback. Then they have the Model X, which is a an SUV that really doesn't look like an SUV till you get close. It's the one that has the gullwing doors in the back that uh, uh, open up and gives you really easy access to uh, to put things in the car. And uh, uh, I'm talking about this is the side doors open up, the, not the passage, the front doors, but the back doors open up. And then the Model S is the more luxury model, uh, and it can go you know up over a hundred thousand uh, dollars pretty easily, but. Uh, they have uh, a lot of various, and there's a lot of options within that. Uh, the pricing is fairly straightforward. And remember, you're dealing directly with the factory. You buy your phone, you buy the car online, and it can be delivered to your house. Oh, and, and Joe's question a minute ago about uh, service. If you need something done, you're in warranty, they will come to your house or, or your place of business where you work and and either fix it or pick it up and take it to the service center and bring it back to you. So uh, I think we're going to see the dealer model. It's been very disrupted. We'll see a lot of changes in the way that cars are sold and that cars are, are, are maintained. I I think that the overhead, the real estate, the inventory, the things that our typical car dealers have to have now uh, may become obsolete. And, it's it's really interesting to see how Tesla has totally you know broken the mold on how you do business as far as the maintenance side is and delivery side as well as you know the actual way the car drives. All right, I get the final question here, and that is right now uh, across the United States, uh, three and four G is is the big uh, Wi-Fi. Five G is on its way. Uh, how important is 5G going to be uh, for cars like uh, Tesla? Well, Dave, I have a very rural district, I, but when I go over in the western part of Perry County, I can't, for example, I can't pull off the road and watch a Netflix movie on my screen like I could if I was here in Little Rock. But uh, uh, all the other functions work fine. I'm sure that the uh, uh, Tesla will adapt to that where there'll be features you can take more advantage of when you have a 5G connection somewhere. Uh, just as an aside, Elon Musk has proposed, a, and he has a separate company that will have some some low-height uh, satellites and will exp- help hopefully expand broadband to underserved areas such as my rural district. And that's something several 
legislators are working. I'm one of part of a group working to expand broadband across the state in the rural areas that, that don't have it. We just learned with the COVID-19, you can send these kids home to do their homework, but some of them don't have a fast enough connection to do their homework. Right. So it's going to, all this is going to help those things, but and it could certainly help, help cars and help the, uh, uh, the whole thing. And let me add one quick thing. You probably aren't going to ask about this. Uh, Tesla is working with trucking companies. I know J.B. Hunt is one of them. Yeah, They've designed a semi. It will pull. Remember, there's no transmission. There's one speed. It will pull uh, an 80,000-pound load up at 7% grade at 65 miles an hour. Wow. Wow, Joe. And there's going to be some. And we didn't get into the Cybertruck, which is the the crazy-looking pickup truck. It looks like something out of Back to the Future. But once you get over the weird look to it and you realize it's a stainless steel, what they call exoskeleton, can't rust, uh, can tow 14,000 pounds, has a range of 500 miles, uh, has an air compressor built in, uh, basically an inverter so you can plug your power tools in in the back of it. It's their... Just rethinking the whole advantage of having that big battery there for people that need a pickup. And again, it's cool looking. It's different. Some people love it. Some people hate it. But it's going to change things because uh, it, it's the first time you've really had a uh, a monumental difference in what a, how a pickup truck operates, probably in a hundred years. Just about. All right, Mark. I appreciate your time. Thank you so much for joining us today. To say this has been an interesting statement or an interesting uh, segment is an understatement, and we thank you for your time. Well, Dave, thank you, Mark. I told you, I'm, I'm chairman of the, or vice chairman of the Joint Committee on Energy. That's what got me interested in this. I'm learning about all the new things coming, and uh, hang on to your hats. It's going to be a big change as we get more efficient and uh, technology starts to serve us again. And thank you guys so much. Uh, Doug, I still may still need you on my seven point three four. No problem. I would I would like to ride in your car one day. I'll be glad to give you guys a ride. But uh, All right. stay safe in the meantime. All right, Mark. Thank you very much, you. State thank Senator. You. Thank you, Mark. State Senator Mark uh, Johnson here on the Dave Ellswick Show. Guys, to say that was an eye-opening conversation. I mean, very seriously, seriously, that was interesting. I. That changed my whole view towards the Tesla. I, I might have to go out and drive one, and, and knowing that you can get one for thirty grand, uh, that changes the whole conversation too, doesn't it? Yes. Oh, absolutely. No, no doubt about that. All right. With that said, let's mention to everybody that Bumper to Bumper makes this show possible. Uh, the folks at Bumper to Bumper have their bumper-to-bumper parts stores and their bumper-to-bumper certified service centers. Each of you have a certified center. And that everybody with bumper-to-bumper and uh, or affiliated with bumper-to-bumper are doing everything they can uh, possibly do to keep, keep everybody safe during this COVID-19 outbreak that we've had. Guys, I think we all have to agree that was really interesting. Most interesting thing you picked up out of that, Joe. Well, I like uh, the, the technology, the way, you know, and, and um, I guess the ease of plugging it in every night and not have to go to the gas station, and that doesn't cost that much. That's, that's yeah. important, too. So. It's, yeah, he said a nickel 
at 20% down and to fill it up, it costs him like a nickel or five bucks. Yeah, I mean, that's about, a nickel. Yeah, that's amazing. Yeah. Absolutely amazing. Hey, uh, we've got uh, about 20 seconds. What do you think, Duck? What was the thing you pulled out of it? Well, my thing is, is uh, uh, you know, the insurance deal not going up sky high and the road use taxes, you know, that's one of the things that we got to look at is the road use taxes. I'm with you. All right, guys, thanks for being with me today. I'm out of time. I'll be back tomorrow. Don't miss the show tomorrow. Uh, J.R. Davis, first hour. Uh, Interesting show today, to say the least. We'll do it again tomorrow, starting at 6 a.m.